Welcome to University Showcase. I'm Megan Kamrick. We have all heard the dire predictions about climate change, but here in New Mexico, we are watching it unfold and grow worse each year. My guest today is journalist Laura Paskus. She has documented these changes for years, and she brings her insights together in a new book from University of New Mexico Press called At the Precipice, New Mexico's Changing Climate. Paskus says the state already faces numerous challenges, and climate change is making them much worse. You know, scientists have pointed to what could happen as it continued to warm. And here in New Mexico, we see those forecasts just playing out right before our very eyes. We also have populations and and issues in the state that already face so many challenges, whether that's poverty or access to fair and equitable education and healthcare and all of those sorts of things. And really climate change exacerbates so many of those problems in sort of increasing disparities between populations, but also climate change compounds so many of the, the problems that we are already grappling with as a state. What are the biggest impacts we're seeing now that will continue to get worse? I think the biggest impact is is truly our water resources. We live in an arid region. We're accustomed to dealing with drought and poor conditions. But in the past, we've always had groundwater to rely upon. People like to look back to the 1950s and the drought that New Mexicans experienced back then. We got through that drought by pumping groundwater. When that drought ended, instead of being like, okay, let's leave that water as sort of a savings account. We just continued to pump and develop and do more and more. So, you know, we're kind of facing these increasingly warm and dry conditions, and we don't have that savings account in many places of groundwater to rely upon. So I really think water is sort of the biggest issue that we really need to confront head on. How will this all change New Mexico culturally, economically, from a health perspective? If we don't address climate change, if we don't take it seriously in terms of both cutting greenhouse gas emissions to slow continued warming and to address adaptation, you know, we really could see New Mexico continue to have a hard time facing many of our challenges where you see power and wealth consolidated in the hands of fewer and fewer people where you have fewer and fewer people making decisions that benefit the state as a whole. So there's kind of like that side of things that that is a very real future. But I also, I like you, I love New Mexico and I love New Mexico's communities. And I think that we have a really strong track record of resilience and creativity when it comes to survival in the desert. And so New Mexicans do have great care for the environment, thought for the future, and really, really care about the survival of one another. So I think one very possible future for New Mexico is that we do creatively address these solutions that also rely on knowledge and expertise that that so many of our tribal and Hispanic and Spanish communities have already. We could be leading the world right now in figuring out these things, right? <laughs> yeah. So Dr. Jonathan Overpeck, who is is like a person I talk to frequently for the book, is something he has talked about is how 
the southwestern United States could be leading the way on water scarcity, on energy, on all of these issues and, and helping set the standard, helping drive innovation, really leading the way. And, and so far we're not, but I really, I think that we still can. You have a sort of mantra in the book, I'm going to quote, cultural expectations are abandoned with difficulty. People try to persist until too late. Social conflict and breakdown make the economy worse. And migration is the ultimate solution to climate change. How do you think about this in the context of New Mexico? Yeah. So, you know, I was at this talk that Dr. Eric Blinman was giving as an archaeologist, which is, you know, what my first career was in that field. And as he was talking about, you know, kind of how prehistorically people adapted or didn't adapt to climate change, he's talking about this. I'm like, holy smokes, he's talking about us right now. And really looking at those four points of his, it's hard to talk about adaptation. It's hard to talk about where we should and shouldn't live. And it's really hard to talk about that when those decisions are being made beyond the community level. As a society, as a culture of New Mexicans, we need to really think about what we need to change in order to have a sustainable future. And one of the conversations where that really needs to happen is in the agricultural community. We all kind of associate New Mexico's agricultural community with, you know, green chili or small farms that's not necessarily where the change needs to happen. I mean, obviously what you do on your individual farm does matter, but it's really in the ways in which water is distributed and allocated in these big irrigation districts like the middle Rio Grande Conservancy District or the Elephant Butte Irrigation District. We need to be looking at really systemic change and how agriculture works in New Mexico. That, that could be a third rail for anyone in <laughs> politics. <laughs> it really could be. And I feel like sometimes what happens when we talk about the need for this, this really big change in how systems are operated, it's really easy for some people to hijack that conversation and say, you're anti-farmer or you're anti-farming and you're attacking small farmers. And that's not what I've heard anybody do. Thinking about how we more efficiently but equitably use water in our agricultural system is a is a big conversation that is not an attack on small farmers. And so I hope that we can move away kind of from these old arguments and narratives. We think about climate issues being these great divisive issues, but they actually could be ways to bring people together on shared interests. Yeah. I mean, water is such not a political issue or a partisan issue and climate change. Oh my gosh, the survival of the species on this planet is not a partisan issue. <laughs> and the more like people can have honest, personal conversations with one another about this stuff, I think the more we realize, oh yeah, no, this isn't a partisan issue at all. <laughs> This is University Showcase. I'm Megan Kamrick, and I'm talking with journalist Laura Paskus about her new book, At the Precipice, New Mexico's Changing Climate, from University of New Mexico Press. You reminded me, reading your book, what a crazy year 2011 was. First, we had that intense freeze. 
that resulted in rolling blackouts in northern New Mexico. People lost heat. Then we had the gigantic Las Conchas fire in the Jemez Mountains. And I remember seeing that gigantic cloud you thought was the monsoon season. I was coming back from camping and I hit Abiquiu and I was like, what the hell is that? (laughs) Because it had appeared in like a day and it looked like a mushroom cloud. How did this year presage our future? Yeah, you are so right. That was such a wild year. And it really, if anything, 2011 should have taught us that in a climate changed world, there is no clear pattern. There's no sense of reliability. In a climate changed world, we're going to see these rapid and unpredictable changes. Sometimes people like to throw out there like, oh, climate change, it'll just be warmer. It'll be a longer growing season. Oh, it's just a more unpredictable growing season because you, everything might start growing and blossoming in late February or March, and then you're going to have a freeze in April and lose your entire crop, or there's not enough water to get you through your entire irrigation season. So 2011 really should have been a wake-up call like, hey, nothing's predictable anymore. <laughs> It was the first, my first experience with a massive wildfire, seeing that, and I've never quite gotten over that. It felt like the world was coming to an end. I know that sounds dramatic, but it no, felt like that. It doesn't. It, I mean, those are the feelings that we have when we see stuff like that. So many firefighters and fire experts I've talked to over the years less conscious really was even for people who weren't on that fire or even in New Mexico at that time, less conscious was really like a new type of fire that people really started studying what happened with less conscious because something like that had never been seen before, Mm. um, even throughout the West. And that's why this summer was such like a scary summer. I felt for for people in Colorado, because they were seeing those types of fires this summer, which, you know, we really hadn't seen since 2011 here. You go extensively in your book into the die-offs of trees and forests, and you talked to Dave Gutzler, who's been on this program, um, and he talked about Albuquerque looking more like El Paso in decades to come. How is climate change accelerating that process? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there's this idea that scientists have been forecasting these impacts. You know, they've they've known for a long time, if you add this much warming, you're going to tip this system. But everything has been happening so much faster. Our release of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere is happening faster. The warming has happened faster and all these impacts have happened faster. So just looking like to the Sandias is a great example of that where you can see there are tens of thousands of acres where we have conifer die-offs. You know, we kind of like, we know intellectually, oh, it's getting warmer. That means it's getting drier. But when you see like tens of thousands of acres of trees dying, and when you see the the long-term impacts of that on the landscape and the changes on the landscape and how that affects the watershed and how that affects, you know, heat islands and everything like that, I think Dr. Gutzler's example is a really great reminder, like a visceral reminder of, yeah, Albuquerque is going to be the kind of city that is 200 miles south of here. (laughs) That's like a pretty drastic change. Yeah, I mean, it means people live in El Paso, as he told me, but there ain't many trees there. 
Yeah. And what will it be like for people in El Paso and Southern New Mexico in 20 years? It's going to be really hot, like unsafe levels of hot for many people. I didn't realize that until I read your book. Of course, we all know the, how the world is warming, but it's warming even faster here. And I'm glad that you had Dr. Gutzler on because he is awesome and so good at communicating the science. He's the one who explained to me why that is. You know, we don't have the balancing impacts of the oceans. So we're like in the, you know, the land is going to be heating faster than the oceans. So that's why we're, we're warming faster. Of course, you talk about oil and gas development and the push to extract more oil and gas through fracking, which has resulted in drastic changes to landscapes and indigenous cultures in northwest New Mexico. And we hear about efforts to protect the ancient dwellings at Chaco National Historical Park. But the descendants of those people who are at Chaco are struggling with those impacts. What does that look like? Yeah, oil and gas development in that region has industrialized parts of that landscape. That ranges from things like the oil and gas wells themselves or the drilling rigs themselves and the flares that you see, especially at night, but which are also very loud and very hot, but also the air quality and the pollution, the traffic. One of the biggest complaints I heard when I was working on that part of the story from people living in the Navajo communities around there was that those big trucks really rip up the roads. And so people live very remotely off the highway and rely on those roads to be able to get to food, to work, to school. Um, And if those roads are inaccessible, they're basically trapped out there, which is a really scary thing to think about. You know, it's still, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful landscape. These are vibrant communities, but there is an unnecessary level of industrialization and an unfair level of industrialization in Northwestern New Mexico, not to mention Southeastern New Mexico down in the Permian Basin. The the development is just wild down there. You often refer to New Mexico in the book as a sacrifice zone. What does that mean? There was an actual federal government report, I think it was from the 1970s, that basically identified New Mexico as a sacrifice zone, that, you know, New Mexico was poor, lacked economic development. And so, you know, basically was seen as an acceptable place to really push things like whether it's um, oil and gas development or uranium mining, you know, was really seen as a part of the country where people's lives and landscapes could be sacrificed for the benefit of the larger economy. And boy, if that's not a shameful way <laughs> to look at a place. Um, you also wrote in in your first line, actually, that climate change will deliver a blow to American prosperity. And I, that was struck me immediately because political arguments against acting on climate change usually have to do with prosperity. And our state budget is highly dependent on oil and gas to fund schools and other services. So how do we start envisioning a future without that? Yeah, the New Mexico really needs to make the decision to extricate ourselves from dependence on oil and gas. And I recognize how hard that is. And it's not an easy thing. And it's not something that can happen overnight. But 
The global pandemic this year has taught us so many lessons. And one of the lessons really has been that the oil and gas industry is unstable and uncertain. And global forecasters, global analysts looking out 10, 20, 30 years are not seeing a big recovery. You know, New Mexico's used to the boom and bust and there'll be blips, but we're never gonna see these big booms. That's just not where the industry is heading. The industry has continued to cut jobs. Even when production was growing, um, industry was still cutting jobs um, because of automation and other factors. And so I feel like COVID really, at the same time that it put pressure on the budget for various reasons, also was kind of like this eye-opening experience and almost like a, an impetus to be like, oh, we see that this isn't a good idea. We see that it's dropping off. Let's get moving right now instead of waiting five or 10 years when things will be even worse for oil and gas and certainly far worse in terms of warming and out of control emissions. If you're just tuning in, this is University Showcase on KUNM. I'm Megan Kamrick. My guest is journalist Laura Paskus, author of the new book, At the Precipice, New Mexico's Changing Climate, from University of New Mexico Press. Governor Bill Richardson focused on the impacts of climate change in New Mexico, but you write that Governor Susana Martinez reversed course on many of those initiatives, and we've seen a similar dynamic at the federal level with the Trump administration. How important is it in in this grand scope of climate change timelines that we reversed course for a certain number of years. Yeah, the Martinez administration was certainly very bad timing. Really, it's so unfortunate that New Mexico lost those eight years precisely when we did. The Obama administration really started to move forward on some initiatives, not all and not as quickly as as the administration should have or could have, but acting in conjunction with the, with the federal government during that time, New Mexico could have made so many strides in terms of everything from cutting emissions to dealing with water security. And also, like we were talking earlier, really setting a leadership pace. You know, we were kind of moving forward with that under the, the Richardson administration in terms of things like renewable energy and wastewater pollution from oil and gas and looking at climate change initiatives and funding mechanisms. If we could have acted on that momentum under a governor for four or eight years after Richardson, New Mexico, I believe, would be light years beyond where we are right now. As you said, water is probably is the biggest issue we have to think about here in the Southwest um, and climate change. Give us an idea of like, how are our water resources being impacted? This year is a really interesting year to me. Last November through February, in the speaking of the Rio Grande Basin, we had close to normal snowpack. And normally close to normal snowpack would mean close to normal runoff and all of that. But because it's getting warmer, which for this arid region means drier, we had that close to normal snowpack, but then we had a warm spring. Everything in the state is thirsty. So everything is grabbing every molecule of water it can, whether it's the soil or plants or your crops or, you know, 
everything needs more water the warmer it gets. And we have a terrible summer in terms of stream flows. The Rio Grande was dry in two stretches for, you know, 40 or 50 miles. Irrigation season in the Rio Grande, middle Rio Grande ended early because of lack of water. And so now, regardless of whether we have good snowpack this year, which we probably won't because we're in a La Nina system, our reservoirs are mostly very, very behind in terms of storage. They're low. The rivers are low and everything is still thirsty. So looking ahead to next year, for example, the Elephant Butte Irrigation District farmers are being told to expect zero allocations of water. Um, I haven't seen what farmers should expect wow. in the middle Rio Grande. Yeah, so what that does is there's less water in the streams and rivers, less water for st that's stored in the reservoirs, we'll have less snowpack. So what do we do? We turn and do more groundwater pumping and it just creates this cycle where we're just using more and more water that we can't afford to use. And there's no savings in the reservoirs and there's no savings in the groundwater. You quote Dave Gutzler again from UNM saying, we won't run out of water, but we have to change how we manage it. Yeah, we need to change where we store water. And again, I'll use the Rio Grande as an example. Right now, the two biggest reservoirs on the Rio Grande are in southern New Mexico, where especially as it gets warmer, there's going to be more and more evaporation. We could move that water upstream, keep it upstream for longer in places like El Vado or Abiquiu, um, Heron, but that's a problem because the way that water rights are structured and all of that, reservoirs are only authorized for certain uses. So it would require congressional action. It would require a lot of work. But the sooner we get cracking on that, the better it's going to be. And it's really, I understand why it's scary to, to change those things. They worked for a long time for many people. They didn't work for everyone, but they worked for powerful enough people for a long enough time that it's scary to think about changing those. And it's also scary to think about making changes and, and further consolidating that power, right? But that's why it's really cool to think about, well, you know, 100 years ago or 80 years ago when these compacts were being negotiated, tribes weren't at the table at all. Information wasn't even being translated for tribes to understand. So in thinking about renegotiations now, how awesome would it be to actually have tribes and communities at the table. And so I think that's exciting. Although, again, I can see why that's scary for some people. You try to bring this home to people who may not think much about their connections to these issues. I'm going to quote what you wrote. If you've eaten chile from Hatch or pecans from Mesilla, fed alfalfa to your horses or poured milk from a New Mexico dairy into your coffee, you've consumed water that the Elephant Butte Irrigation District's farmers divert from the Rio Grande and Elephant Butte or pump from the aquifer. How can we get more New Mexicans to think along these lines? I think that just having conversations about where our water comes from is really important. The water doesn't just magically appear out of your tap. It's like this crazy engineering and legal craziness. Really. <laughs> no, we take it for granted, of course, yeah. in the Western world, right? 
<laughs> yeah. In your foreword, this made me laugh. As journalists, you commend public officials who helped you get information, but you also call out those who did not. And you actually thank them and you write, if you hadn't worked so hard to keep that information from me, I might not have realized just how valuable it was. Can you say more about that? <laughs> I think that, you know, in, in trying to survive the Martinez administration, which was terrible for journalists and terrible for the public and transparency, I really had to sometimes pick my battles and requesting information because it was going to be, nobody was going to talk to me. Nobody was going to answer my email or my phone call. They they might comply with my Inspection of Public Records Act requests, but also they might not. The more resistant officials were in the Martinez administration to provide information, the more I'd be like, yeah, there's something there. <laughs> Let's get after that. And so I just feel like in some way, I know I was a pain in the neck to many of those officials and they did not like me. And I learned to not like them. But in some ways, they were they were really helpful in kind of pointing out where the, the biggest, most important problems were. What are the main things that we need to do right now as a state, but also individually? I think that recognizing that we need to be good residents, good people who live in New Mexico, to not take our resources and our communities for granted, it never serves us to find solutions to climate change or water issues by being really divisive and thinking about things in terms of upstream and downstream and what's mine and yours. The only way that New Mexicans are going to survive into the 21st and 22nd centuries is if we start working together and start thinking of ourselves as a whole and thinking about future generations as a part of how we make decisions right now and to be more inclusive and to listen to one another. I really think that's our strength in New Mexico. You know, many people could live anywhere, but when you live in New Mexico, I feel like you, you decide to live here, you choose to live here, you want to live here. And, and we should just really remember to be taking care of one another because it is a really special place and I think we have many of the tools to be working on solutions here. And this is really depressing, Laura, to cover all this. Where do you find hope? When I was a kid growing up, I was often kind of unhappy. And I spent a ton of time out in the woods around my house. And I've always found kind of solace and joy in being outside. For me, as like an environment reporter, even when I'm reporting on something super depressing, like being up in the sort of really changed part of the Jemez where Las Conchas burned, I'm just so happy to be outside and learning from some scientists who are teaching me cool stuff that it's really easy to keep focusing on the minute joys that we can find in our daily lives, whether that's taking a walk around your neighborhood or paying attention to the species of birds that come to your yard. For me, it's really connecting to the outdoors that makes it feel not just hopeful, but also like worth being hopeful about. 
Well, Laura, thank you for the book and thank you for talking with us. It was great. Thank you, Megan. I'm really happy to talk to you. Thanks for having me. That was journalist Laura Paskus, and her book is At the Precipice, New Mexico's Changing Climate from University of New Mexico Press. You can find this interview and an extended version of the interview with her at KUNM.org and all our previous episodes as well. Thanks to Associate Professor David Bashwinner for our theme music. I'm Megan Kamrick. Thanks for listening to University Showcase. University Showcase.